Let's do it. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Sickle Cell Podcast. It's me again, Steven. Hi. Here with my co-host. What's her name? Cass. All right. And guess what? We have an amazing guest for you today. So on this episode, this is our Why Sickle Cell series. We get to hear from a really, really inspiring story of somebody living with sickle cell disease. I'm not going to let you guys in on all the secret, but um, I know and I'm very excited because I get to hear more about her story from both a medical perspective and also from a personal standpoint. So get prepared. I'm really excited for us to talk about that. And so I'm going to bring our guest in. She's going to introduce herself. But before we get started, I want Cass to kick this off with a cool, fun activity we have for you guys today. So Cass, take it away. Just to do a little icebreaker, introduce a little icebreaker into this. Halimat, I would like to ask you what we call a rapid fire question. So I guess the first thing is pick a number between one and seven and whatever number you choose, that's the question you're gonna get. So I have a list of questions here ready to ask you based off of the number you choose. Okay, I choose the number three. That's my favorite number. Okay. <laughs> so, what activity calms you when you're in a crisis? Um, I love to like jam to music. So usually I'll either go for a walk or sit in my car and just blast music and like sing my heart out. Um, and it really makes me feel better and reminds me, you know, that things are going to be okay and whatever I'm dealing with is going to pass. I love it. And can I ask what, what, what's the song? Which song? Or which song? That's hard. So it's usually something by Queen B. Depends on mood I'm in, you know? Okay. <laughs> sure. For sure. All right. So that is my rapid fire. What do you think, Steven? Um, do you want to take one more, Halima? Or is that... Oh, I have... I, you know what? I, I created a rapid fire question specifically for this episode. So I'm going to ask you one more. Ghana or Nigeria? Yikes. I mean, I'm Nigerian, so I can't, I can't go against Nigeria, but, um... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no disrespect. That's the right answer, Halima. <laughs> you All right, got no it right. comment on that. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> no comment on that. I knew she wanted to ask you that question, so, but, hey. You said it Whatever up. you like it or not, we're always African, so... I, I'd love just taste a little bit better. That's all I'll say. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. So, Halima, like we said, you know, on this episode is what we call why sickle cell, right? So, everybody has their own reason for being in the sickle cell space. Why sickle cell? Why is sickle cell so important to you? I will try to tell my whole life story with this question. But, um, so, I was born in Nigeria, and in a lot of Africa, people aren't tested at birth for sickle cell. And so I had no idea. My family had no idea that I had it. And it's hilarious because it's ironic because my parents could have speculated that they both had the trait um, based on like other family members, but that wasn't a conversation that they ever had. And then we came to America when I was like four and we lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And I guess the weather was just really friendly to me. And then we moved to Michigan, which is really cold and has weather extremes and just all the things that are really bad for sickle cell patients, you know, that can trigger a crisis. And so I had my first crisis when I was seven, and it just was such a left turn. Like, I had no idea. None of us had any idea that this was coming. So it, my whole life changed in elementary school, and it was kind of just like, I don't really know how to describe it, just like kind of devastating to go from, quote-unquote, thinking you're normal to all of a sudden there's all these restrictions on your life and just getting sick all the time. But fast forward um, to maybe like middle school, um, I hadn't been getting sick as often, but then I got really sick again, and I remember being in the hospital, and this nurse was just so kind to me, and I was eager to get out of the hospital, because I personally like really hate being in the hospital as a patient, and then she just told me um, that I was special. That was, it was really simple. She just said that I was special, and... I had never, at that up to that moment, thought of myself in relation to having sickle cell as being special. And so I kind of started to think that maybe I could really do something about this. 
do something with this disease, you know, like if they didn't have to let it define me or separate out from who I was. Maybe because I am who I am and I have this disease was a a chance, like an opportunity to really do something amazing or great with it. And so I kind of decided in that moment that I was going to become a doctor, which is so grandiose. I'm like 12, okay? And I'm like, I'm going to become a doctor and I'm going to find the care for sickle cell, like point blank period, which is, again, really grandiose of me. But um, yeah, and obviously it was like a long journey. Um, fast forward like 10 years and now I'm a medical student. But I think what really was for me was on the one hand being a patient and having some not so great experiences with the medical field and society at large in terms of being a sickle cell patient and then getting older and becoming on the other side, being a volunteer, a caretaker, a provider, a researcher, and now a medical student. And obviously I've always been an advocate. So I've just seen almost every aspect in relation to this disease, except for maybe like, you know, caring for someone else with it. Um, but I think I have a very unique perspective on it and I'm able to speak about it in ways that a lot of people aren't. And so that gives me this power, I guess, and this responsibility to continue to do that. So that's why, like super long story, semi-short. <laughs> that's a great answer. I love it. One thing that you said, you know, you talked about this this nurse and your experience with her, right, at the hospital. And look at how that has changed and impacted um, where you are today. And now people get the opportunity to benefit from your expertise. So um, I'll dive more into the impact of the healthcare providers and their, their tone and their voices. But I'm glad that, you know, that experience really affected you and, and helped make you um, who you are today. But thanks for sharing that. That's very great. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I feel like I've heard a, a handful of people living with sickle cell disease say, oh, I'm going to be a doctor and, and grow up and cure sickle cell. And I feel like somehow sickle cell, I guess, provides that purpose. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, obviously. Um, I'm still working within the space, but I, I feel like sickle cell has given me a purpose, which it sounds like it's it's given you. Tell us a little bit more about how you grew up and um, your educational background. Um, okay, so I feel like I had a very typical strict immigrant religious upbringing, um, like per the book. And then um, in the beginning, I'm sure it was really hard for my parents when I would get sick. It was really hard for me too. I definitely missed a lot of school when I was younger, like in elementary school. But I don't know, some miracle happened and I just got better. Started missing less and less school as I got older. And then... You know, I had that transformative moment and I was kind of able to focus more on school because of it. And I had this purpose and this drive now that comes with certain responsibilities, you know, pursuing medicine. And so I just like really hit the books and I started doing really well and, you know, middle, high school, whatever, became like a steady student. I was the kind of person who cried over bees before med school, of course. Um, and then med school, like kicks you in the butt a bit, but, um, yeah, and then I went to the University of Michigan in an arbor, and I studied public health. There wasn't, like, a pre-med major or anything like that, which I, I guess I would have done, but I just really fell in love with and had been in love with the idea of, like, social determinants of health, and I feel like there are a lot of confounding variables that create the population that's affected by sickle cell. So there's this giant myth that I hate that only Black people get sickle cell, and it's like, no, it's genetic. It has nothing to do with your skin color or your race or ethnicity at all. Um, it's just like the history of malaria. Besides the point, tangent. Um, so just getting into public health aspect and learning about not only does sickle cell in America more often than not affect Black people, it also more often than not congregates in, like, the cities and more often than not those are poorer areas and more often so it's just like all these variables that kind of make it increasingly difficult for sickle cell people to get the attention and care that they deserve and so I got really passionate about that stuff and then I got to study it in undergrad and I loved it and then yeah I applied to medical school and now I'm a second year medical student at the University of Cincinnati and med school is a huge challenge obviously but it's like so much closer to that dream that I had, that idealization that I said when I was 12 is like becoming a reality now a decade later. And that's pretty, it's pretty mind blowing to like go from being the patient to now like I am so close to being the provider. It's really cool. 
That is pretty amazing. And like you said, it's a unique perspective and a much needed one. I feel like we need more of us to treat us. So it's it's definitely a huge accomplishment and a huge plus. Just to go back to a little bit more of your childhood, when I realized the severity of, of sickle cell disease was actually in middle school as well, and I had to do a, a report on sickle cell disease in reading literature, I read that the lifespan was up to 42 years. And that's when it hit me. And that's when I realized, wow, what I'm living with, it could mess up my plans and, and <laughs> potentially, you know, just um, be very, very serious. Did you have that moment at all? And, and was that your aha moment? Yeah, um, I definitely had that moment, but I actually had it a lot younger. So the healthcare system that I was a part of when I was younger made me like, I really hated going to the hospital for a lot of reasons, but they made me come in like max every six months. And that was like, if I was really pushing it. And when I came in, I had to meet with all these providers, like a psychologist, a hematologist, a pediatrician, all of that. So I would, had already known about the the gravity of this disease because every time I went there, they would ask me all these questions to check my understanding, like, do you have friends? Are you suffering from depression? Are you anxious? Are you developing unhealthy habits? Do you know that you could die by 30? Like, just, like, terrible things that I don't think a seven-year-old should have to know or think about, but I knew those things pretty early on because of the system that I was in, and I, I'm honestly really against how they did it. But, you know, that's a different story. I never really got a positive look at all for sickle cell until the moment with that nurse. Like, before that, I only had negative opinions about the disease. But my mother, like, my parents are both in the health field. My dad is a pharmacist, and my mother is, she's done a couple of things, but she was a nurse at one point. And so they had this medical understanding and their religious approach. So they were just constantly like, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what the stats are, what they tell you, whatever, whatever. You're not going to be like that. You're going to outlive even the quote unquote normal healthy people. You know, like this disease is not going to stop you or change your life in any way, shape or form. And my mom was like super determined about that. Like she is part of the reason why I think I got so much better at coping, I guess. Because she, like, instilled that in me. And, like, maybe you're sick right now, but it's not going to be the end of the world. And when you feel better, you get back up, you know? Like, it's tempting to be down and want to stay down. But you can't do that. You have to get up. As soon as you can get up, you have to get up. And so a lot of those factors, I think, really shaped me into who I am and where, how far I was able to go. Um, and I'm still going. And I read this whole research paper about like having strict caretakers is like kind of associated with better outcomes for sickle cell patients. Something about having a routine and sticking to the things that you know are gonna help your health outcomes. Something about having you know that regimen of being like, this is what I can and cannot do, and not in terms of like limiting yourself, but in terms of like understanding what impacts your health. I guess I really had that growing up, and it pushed me to be like, I am not limited by my health, but yes, there are certain things I have to take into consideration because of my health. So, I don't know, after a while, and like my parents saying that enough, I just really felt like I do not care like what anyone says, I am going to prove them all wrong, and it's really cool that I get to, I get to do that still. I think, um, so one thing you said, you know, you talked about earlier on, your exposure to the healthcare system wasn't that great, right? So all these psychologists and hematologists, and one thing you talked about that really stood out to me was the gravity of the disease, right? And how these people were like, you know, would, would send a negative message instead of them being the encouragers. What that tells me is there's such a huge impact when you have, as a sickle cell warrior, as a person with, living with sickle cell disease, you have a healthcare advocate. And like you said, you know, your parents, in the healthcare field really also helping change that narrative for you and how that impacted you. So um, it's sad that, you know, that happens, unfortunately, very common in this community, but also um, it's also encouraging to see people like you um, going into the healthcare field or even myself and any other people to really help change the landscape. One thing I want to follow up and, and ask you is around treatment, right? So, of course, with sickle cell, 
um, like you said, you know, there's a lot that comes with that disease, but, um, you know, you guys are powerful, you guys are able to overcome it, but I want to know, you know, when you started thinking about treatment for you and you start thinking about you going to school and, and the time and the dedication is going to take for you to go through school, how did you start thinking about looking up information for treatment or looking at things that might help you manage the disease as you um, prolong that long in your career? It's so funny that you said that because I honestly didn't do that for myself. Like, my parents did so much of that. Um, they were just so proactive about this, about, like, my health. And so when I was younger, I didn't really, like, worry about or have to do much. It was just, like, whatever my parents said, and they took care of that. And then as I got older, obviously, I had to take care of myself. And again, I didn't really look into treatment. Like, for a long time, I was just really focused on, like, dismantling myths about sickle cell. Like, once I got over the fact, because at first I was just, like, kind of not in denial, but, like, I didn't even want to talk about it, you know, because it was just such a negative experience for me. I wanted to, like, completely dissociate with the disease. And so once I got over that and, you know, like, engraved the fact that I have this disease into my being and my purpose, I was determined to just change everyone's opinion about it, you know, like dismantle the narrative that it's only black people, that it's always lethal, whatever, whatever. Um, so I was really focused on that. But I didn't really think much about like the treatment or research aspect when I was younger. But then in middle school, um, we were giving a talk or whatever, a lecture on sickle cell in my biology class. And I just asked the teacher if I could give the talk instead. And I can't believe she said yes, but she did. Um, and so that was one of the first moments where I got to like stand in front of a room and be like, I have sickle cell disease. And, you know, obviously give some of the background science or whatever that I knew at that point. Um, but to be a real person in front of them explaining that, you know, this disease affects real people and it affects me and you know me, you've seen me and how I am. So, you know, and I think that I've done that so many times now for different audiences and at different levels of my education. And I think having someone in front of you that has the disease you're learning about is something really powerful. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, it's so easy, especially in medicine to get bogged, bogged down and focused on like, Sickle cell disease is a point mutation caused by a change from whatever to whatever, you know, and not care about the fact that it affects real people until you have a real person in front of you. But it wasn't until like college really that I started to like actively research my disease and treatment plans and whatnot like that. And when I was being offered new treatments, you know, like hydroxyurea, which isn't that new, but like wasn't offered to me until college or like the drugs that came out while I was in college and working with like amazing researchers. Then I started to learn that there was way more to learn about sickle cell. And even now in med school, like there's still more to learn, but I was just so focused on the social stuff. And I feel like a lot of patients are really focused on the social stuff. Yeah. To your point, you know, even having that experience as, as, as a young child, being able to speak in front of people and having your colleagues even see what it's like or seeing a person with that disease was, I mean, it's, it's so important. And, you know, with, with treatment in sickle cell, unfortunately, like you said, you know, there hasn't been much, but there's a lot of conversation around it. And I think you even said with hydroxyurea, you didn't get, ex here, you know, get opportunity to um, be offered that treatment until in college, right? And, and we do that a lot in, in the community. But one thing that we're seeing now is, you know, there's a lot of buzz around sickle cell, right? So there's a lot of new interests, a lot of potential treatments coming in this space, which is a good thing for the community. But... When you, you know, as a future medical provider, as a person already in this space, you know, you talked about social determinants of health, right? All those things places a big part in even people getting access to treatment and all these different things. What is your general opinion about all this traction and that sickle cell is getting now, especially around treatment and, and, and as people talking more about sickle cell now? It's like, um, I have two opinions or two points. Yeah. In general, how I feel about what is it, like transient interest in things? Like when, you know, it's like the hot topic and people just float to something because everyone else is floating to it. I really hate that um, because it's not sustainable. And then it can honestly do more damage 
than good sometimes, especially like when people like go abroad, implement all these initiatives, and then get bored or are done or the grant ends or whatever happens, and then they just leave. And then there was nothing sustainable there for the community. I hate that. But that's a side note. In terms of sickle cell, yeah, I'm all for the attention that sickle cell is getting. It needs more attention. It's not enough, especially given the fact that sickle cell is the most common genetically inherited disease like it is mind-blowing to me it's literally more common than almost everything else that gets way more funding and it's just because of the myths and the population that it affects that sickle cell is neglected in my opinion so there should be like way more funds attributed to sickle cell research and it should not i should be able to walk up to a random person and say I have sickle cell and them not be like dumbfounded and I can't do that and it's mind-boggling. If you say you have cancer, it doesn't matter how old you are, everyone knows what cancer is. And cancer is terrible, of course, and it does affect a lot of people. But again, sickle cell is the most common genetic disorder and we don't, like most of the most of the United States the population at least, like could not tell you a single thing about it, you know? It's yeah. really disappointing. So I'm all for the attention. I'm excited for new treatments to come out, but honestly, like I think hydroxyurea is is a phenomenal treatment option, and that we also need to put more effort into getting hydroxyurea to more sickle cell patients at a younger age. That's part of the research that I did this summer. It's just they've shown or basically proven that if you start like infant on hydroxyurea, their health outcomes are phenomenal. And so it's still kind of taboo right now, you know, like hydroxyurea in general is considered like a chemotherapy. And so people are like nervous to take it. And again, I didn't even know about it until college. So I think there there's a lot of work to be done and we need more people to be interested and interested in different things about sickle cell because all of it needs attention, you know, it affects every part of the body. And so, and we need more like not just pediatricians because Basically, there's a bunch of pediatric hematologists, but there's no one outside of that who cares about sickle cell, and it's terrible. And I think I'm ranting, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, no, I think what you're saying is really important. I mean, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question to that because I want you to keep talking about that. So you talked about sustainability, right? And, like, to your point, there's traction. Like, people are more interested in this space now, but... How do we ensure and make sure like this thing keeps going, right? People are not getting access to treatment. There's all these social determinants we talked about that's really affecting care. Uh, I want to follow up and ask you, what do you think could be done to ensure that this conversation and this traction that sickle cell is getting now is sustainable? I think it's like two things. The, okay. the one main thing is like education and awareness. Like it is again, mind-boggling how little people know. Like, literally, I could tell a stranger that I had sickle cell, you know, today and tell them again tomorrow and they wouldn't remember. You know, it's really sad. And so we need to start really young, like, teaching people at a really young age. Like, in elementary school, we teach about anything else about sickle cell, and we need to keep doing it and not just talking about how it's a point mutation or it's associated with malaria. Like, no, talking about how it affects real people and what real people with sickle cell, you know, do look like, go through, whatever, whatever. Not even look like, because again, it affects everyone. So like emphasizing that point and we have to start doing that really young and we need to keep doing it. So I probably had four lectures in my whole life, not including medical school on sickle cell. And that is just like pathetic to me. That is incredibly sad. Being a science you know, person and like having taken so many science classes, it's all, it's always the same thing. Like it's always a five minute discussion and whatever science class, uh, and it's the exact same, like two sentences and we move on. And I used to like, you know, put up with that besides the one time in, in middle school where I like, you know, got the chance to talk about it. Um, but even in college, I remember just being, a professor literally said to the whole class, he was like, sickle cell disease kills everyone that has it. So you'll never see anyone with sickle cell disease. And I was like sitting in the classroom, like, I have sickle cell disease and I am alive. And I went up to him after class and was like, um, what you said about sickle cell, I don't think that's true. And he was like, I don't even know what he said, but I was like, I have sickle cell. And he was like, do you mean the trait? And I was like, no, the full-blown disease, and I'm, I'm very much alive. And I just like, I wrote this whole thing about it because it was just so upsetting. And that's the constant thread that happens. So the first thing we have to do is educate everyone. You know, whatever it has to be, like the, the basics outside of the science, you know, the basics like social aspects of sickle 
sickle cell. Everyone should know about the way everyone knows about cancer. That's the first thing, and we need to do that all the time and start young. The second thing is, like, getting resources to be distributed, and that's, like, a government thing. So, like, lobbying congressmen to care and distribute energy, money. Okay, so, like, there's a Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, of course, but that was started by, like, one person, and it had nothing to do with the government. And even the CDC didn't have a Sickle Cell Center until a professor that I got to work with started it at the CDC, like, recently, you know? Like, we're talking, like, a decade ago. And that is mind-boggling for the number one most common thing. Like, I just, I can't start and hear it started. But um, it's just, like... The amount of resources and attention is just so lacking. And I think once we get people to understand, to just see, like just open people's eyes about this disease, I think that would change everything. And we have to keep doing it. Like that's, you have to keep doing it. You can't just have a conversation once and then never bring it up again, you know? So that's what I do. I just like never shut up about it, like ever. My friends like actually call me the sickle cell person because besides the fact that I have it, like they know that at any if given the chance, I'm going to bring it up. Well, you are accompanied by fellow sickle cell nerds, so don't feel ashamed. We talk about it all the time, every day. <laughs> so I, I want to learn a little bit more about what it's like going to med school, especially living with sickle cell disease. You know, there's a lot of people in life who tell you what you can and can't do. And I, I've heard stories of people living with sickle cell disease having, you know, with aspirations to become a doctor and have it being shot down by, you know, family members or by, you know, their healthcare uh, professionals or, you know, whoever else. So what is a day-to-day or like what's a typical day in the life of a med student with sickle cell disease? Before I answer that, I just want to like echo that I was shot down so much, just like repetitively told that I could not do this that I wouldn't live long enough to do this, but it would be too hard for me, whatever, whatever. And um, that was kind of like one of the first times I had to like really take a look at my health before starting medical school and like thinking of like, what do I need health-wise to be able to succeed in medical school? But day to day, I I don't I couldn't even tell you what like a typical day looks like. It really varies, but I mean, it's not like in undergrad, you kind of have like lectures, sparse you know like you might have like two on Monday and then three on Tuesday whatever whatever and you take like different classes but in med school like everyone's kind of doing the same thing you all take the same classes they're all like eight to twelve every day it's technically you take one class at a time but you learn like your class might be called like we're in cardio now so you learn everything there is to know about the heart in this one quote-unquote class so you have like four lectures a day that talk about different things in relation to the heart and then in the afternoons like before COVID you'd have like anatomy lab um you get to like learn about the you know human body and in dissection you'd have clinical skills where you practice your doctor skills you know like taking vital signs blood pressure all that stuff doing a physical exam and then you have depending on the school other opportunities to like further engage in community health social determinants of health or research if you want to. But it really varies. And I'm not going to lie, in the beginning, the adjustment was real. It's a giant adjustment to just the amount of information, you know? Like, I think med school, like, I truly believe if you want this, you can do it, and nothing can stop you but you. Of course, there are variables that make it harder. Don't get me wrong. Like, I am actively aware of all the things that – especially the United States basically does to make it almost impossible to get into medical school. But if you want it, like, again, nothing can stop you. You just have to be determined enough to keep pushing. And so I'm a huge advocate for that. And anyone who wants to get into medical school, like the only person who can really say no to you at the end of the day is you. And you just have to learn. It's like a huge adjustment curve, a huge learning curve to starting medical school, transitioning between classes. Like it's just, constant adaptation is like how I would define medical school. So what's your uh, discipline? Um, so I don't have one yet. So basically you start med school, just kind of everyone's general, you know, like everyone's just learning the same thing and you figure it out ideally by third year. And then your fourth year, you like apply to residency in said interest. 
But I, you know, of course, since I was 12, I was like, I'm going to be a pediatric hematologist. Um, so I could work with sickle cell patients. And honestly, like, I love hematology. And I don't know, like, actually know what that means. Um, I really, really love hematology. But I also really love, like, primary care and preventive care. So I'm trying to figure out how I can, like, of course, work with sickle cell patients, but also be maybe more than a hematologist. You know, like, I want to be the doctor that a sickle cell patient can see for everything and anything. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know. That sounds like a lot of school. But um, so we'll see. I don't have one yet, though. So I'm coming to look for you as soon as you graduate. (laughs) (laughs) I will be your first patient. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you can always be the trendsetter. You can create that path, right? Absolutely. Do that. Keep and also be their primary care physician. Why not? And like that said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll get you all the patients because I know they're going to be in good hands. One thing I want to ask you actually is going through medical school, of course, and having sickle cell, sometimes there are certain things that you can't really control, right? So whether it's a crisis or an event related to sickle cell. Um, tell us briefly about any of those experiences and how were you able to manage or deal with anything like that that came up while going through while in medical school oh my gosh that hit so hard um honestly the most frustrating part is when you know people say that sickle cell is this invisible disease because people can't see when you're struggling with it and so the hardest part is in medical school in school in general the world in general time does not stop for you and i feel like when i get sick the biggest thing that i need is time time to rest to catch up, like let my body just, you know, reprogram, like reboot itself. And that's something that you do not have when the world just keeps going and continues to have these expectations of you. So the hardest thing for me has really been like, oh man, people love to complain, right? And I honestly can't stand when people complain about petty things because in the back of my head, it's like, you're upset over nothing. Like I just, was in so much pain yesterday and you will not hear me complain about it you know um but that's a separate tangent like obviously everyone's pain is valid and you cannot compare your worst day to someone else's worst day but yeah so the hardest part is just like being in a crisis you know like the night before an exam having a sickle cell crisis and it's really really hard to study when you're in that much pain i mean i try of course but it depends what my body is doing um and then having to go take that exam and just feeling at like at a huge disadvantage like losing that time you could have been studying with to you know get a better grade or whatever um because you were sick and I think people obviously get sick all the time with other things, but I think like having a cold or something, okay, except for COVID, like that sounds terrible, of course, but it's just a very different type of sick to have like the common cold or, you know, whatever else, like a headache or something, which I also couldn't study with a headache or anything either, but versus having a sickle cell attack where depending on like the level of pain or where the pain is, you really could be like disabled for a little bit. And then having to go continue on and act like everything's normal. And then your classmates complaining about, yeah, I was really busy or like I was whatever, whatever. So I just didn't have enough time to do whatever, whatever. Or people saying like, yeah, I studied really hard last night. And I think that's like why I did so well, whatever, whatever. And I just really hate comments like that because I have this saying that, or there is a saying that you don't know what someone is going through ever. So you should always be kind to people. And that's a huge thing with sickle cell patients is that you can look at us, but you have no idea what we're going through. You know, like you, it does not show on the surface at all that I am in pain unless I choose to show it to you. And I've gotten really good at not showing it to people um, for other reasons. So it's like, unless I decide that I want you to know, like you're never going to know that I'm in pain. So it's a lot that I kind of keep to myself, but at the same time, it just gets really like, frustrating when people I don't know take advantage isn't the right word but take for granted their health I guess which sounds terrible but I studied like disability topics and disability narratives and the scariest thing about disability to like you know broad America is the fact that you can become disabled at any moment in time you know like a car accident a biking act, like anything could happen to you and forever change your life tomorrow, you know? But as a sickle cell patient, you're like so used to that idea, you know? Like 
at any moment in time, any day, you can have a crisis, and that changes the day, if you're lucky, just the day, you know? So I'm really used to that idea, and I've just had to, like, accept certain things are out of my hands and be a lot kinder to myself when those things happen and when I don't get the grade that I wanted because I couldn't study like I wanted to because I had to take care of myself. And it's okay. It's totally okay because at the end of the day, I'm still going to be a great doctor. But um, I've had to really work on, like, not being so hard on myself and not knocking myself for things that I can't control. And I think I ranted again. Sorry. No, you're I think, fine. I think one... I'm I'm just like listening to everything you're talking about and I feel like you know one thing that you said you know you can never judge people based on what they're going because you never know what people are going through but for me you know me not having sickle cell and even having a sister having sickle cell and I've shared this before the one thing that quote-unquote scares me sometimes is the unpredictable and like you said you know anybody can have a disability any point of any time of the day but sickle cell warriors are so used to that concept and to to your point you know professors and teachers and all these people sitting in medical school and not a fault of this they're not there you know really actively trying to see okay well this girl might be having sickle cell today so let's be a little bit easy on the lecture for everybody it's still going to be the same gravity but now you you guys have to take this extra step and i i have this thing i always say i say you know, sickle cell, I don't like to say patients, sickle cell warriors are some of the most resilient people because even irrespective of what you're going through, they still have to deal with everything else everybody has to deal with and some. So it's, it's really inspiring hearing you say that. And, you know, I'm, I'm very excited and I can't wait for you to be down medical school and make this impact in our community. But thanks for sharing yeah. that. I can only imagine what that is like. Thank you. It's funny that you said that too because people, like when we have a sickle cell lecture, people will text me like, I thought of you today. And I'm like, I know exactly why you thought of me today because you heard the word sickle cell today, you know? So it's like, I have it every day, not just the days that you remember, you know, or that you're reminded of the fact that this disease exists. Like, I have it every day. Um, and that's something I say like all the time. Like, this disease does not, it does not go away. I will have it every day for the rest of my life, you know? That's just how it works. Um, but people really forget. They really act like, I don't know, like it's it's funny watching people just like completely forget that I have it. And then one day out of the blue being like, oh my gosh, we like heard the word sickle cell today and thought of you. Are you okay? Like, it doesn't work that way. But it's interesting. How how do you typically react to that? Like, do you feel like people are more like, oh, well, let me, let me care for it a little bit more today. Or do you feel like they tend to give you more attention because they heard about the disease. How, how is that conversation typically like? I'm just curious. Honestly, it kind of just makes me laugh because I just think to myself, like, like maybe today I'm perfectly fine, but, like, two days ago I was terrible, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, I could have used this two days ago, but you had no way of knowing. Um, but I'm still like, thank you for thinking of me. But, again, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Where, like, I think people... This is nothing against anyone, but it's just how people are. We're so focused on ourselves that we don't see things unless they relate to us. So people don't think of sickle cell because they don't have any examples in their head of people living with sickle cell. And then it takes like a trigger, like a lecture, and then you can tie like, oh, I actually do know someone with sickle cell, and I just had this lecture, let me like check in on them. Um, and it's the same thing with anything else. People like stop caring when they're not reminded to care. Um, and for me, that's not genuinely caring, but at the same time, people only have the capacity to care for so much. I think that's one of my biggest blessings and curses is that I just care so much about everything. Kind of unhealthy, honestly. <laughs> it's too much. But um, so I'm just constantly thinking about these things that people have the privilege to not have to always think about. Yeah. So in everything that you've mentioned, like, you know, just all, all of the hardships that you've endured so far within med school, what would you say has been your most proud moment within your journey? That's hard. I mean, every time that I've gotten to talk about my experiences with sickle cell in front of the crowd and then see the reactions from that crowd. So I did the one in middle school and then in undergrad, I got the chance to do the, a similar, like, you know, talk-style deal, but in front of medical students while I was an undergraduate student. And, like, after that talk, they just all approached me and were like, 
I had no idea. Like, they were emotional, you know? And it's like, I really impacted them. And I don't know if they're going to remember that talk. Or if it was just another thing that, you know, happens and you forget about it. But having that impact was pretty cool. And so I just continued to, like, seek out or at least say yes to those kinds of opportunities. I got to do that again at the Capitol building in, in Michigan, so, like, State Capitol building. And I got to do that again for my medical class. And again, very close. I just like keep taking the opportunities to speak and to, to people, like in front of people, and be like, I am a real person. Obviously, you know that. You know all these things about me. But guess what? I also have this disease. And I think it really um, is eye opening for people because I come off a certain way, and I do not come off as the stereotype they have in their heads of sickle cell if they even know what sickle cell is. So. It's kind of really powerful to, like, give this whole talk on sickle cell and, you know, talk about the stereotypes and dismantle the myths and educate people. And then end, I usually end the talk with, and by the way, I also have sickle cell. And you just, like, see, like, the impact and the change it has to the room. It's really cool. So that's one of my proudest moments. It's just the chances to use my personal experiences to inspire and motivate other people. Wow. And what would you say just overall, and, and I guess uh zooming or taking a step back what would you say is uh something that sickle cell taught you and all of this and only sickle cell could have taught you oh my gosh yeah that's a great question i actually talked about that in my personal statement for med school sickle cell taught me what pain means and that sounds really maybe like um I don't know, maybe that sounds like cliche or something, like, of course, sickle cell people and people in general experience pain, but I think sickle cell pain is really unique, and I think having it at any point in time to any level of severity is also really unique, and then being able to go through that much pain and not turn into an evil person like I feel like people with sickle cell are the nicest people on the planet and it's like we go through so much all of the time like um like the resilience thing and we still are the most positive like happy people so it's just taught me about patience and kindness because I know that I have been through so many things that no one will ever know about and maybe no one was there for me in that moment I mean besides my family or whatever and so it constantly pushes me to think about that for other people, to be like, okay, this person today is being whatever, but maybe it's because they're going to do something that I have no idea about. So let me, like, give them grace. Let me give them this time. Let me, like, you know, so I think it has made me a very, like, patient and understanding and kind per- and forgiving person, which can be good sometimes, can be bad sometimes, but just, like, having this understanding of, like, people carry way more than we know. There's so much that sickle cell can teach, right? And I can't speak that from my own experience, but, you know, everybody says something different, right? But when you start, you talked about sickle cell has taught you pain, but it's also taught you how to be patient and and see things from different perspectives, too, which, to me, you know, it's so powerful. And I always tell people that, Empathy is how patients get the best care and having someone like you, you know, like to your point, you talked about seeing a perspective and even being able to understand what people might be going through. That's how patients get the best care. So I'm just excited that you you decided to go in healthcare and really impact people because what you just said, I think really translated really well into that. I want to take one step even further because I, I did a little bit of digging and and I've done a little bit of work learning about, you know, your book, uh, Breaking the Cycle of Pain, and even your work with Chasing Medicine. Um, tell us tell us more. I, I want to know more about more your work in Sickle Cell, because I know you've done more work. So let's just spill the beans. We want to hear more about <laughs> the things you've been doing. Um, okay, so Chasing Medicine doesn't really have anything to do with Sickle Cell directly. But um, after I got into medical school, like that whole process is just, you're just kind of in the blind, like in the dark. You have no idea what to do unless there's someone around you that has successfully done that. And that's rare. Like unless your parents are doctors or someone in your family is a doctor, it is so unlikely that you know what to do when it comes to applying for medical school. And so obviously I had no idea, even though both of my parents are in the healthcare field. And I was really blessed to have a mentor who changed everything for me and really like saved my application. And I have her to thank a lot for getting into medical school, I really truly believe that. 
Um, and so she just like gave me her time to look over my application and tell me like, this is what the, the admissions team is looking for. And this is how you can better show them how amazing you are. And then, you know, it was the summertime. I guess I was bored. I don't know. I had a job. Um, but my friends were applying to medical school and I had just kind of like offered to help them edit their applications and I did it for like one person and I really liked helping them but I also realized that they were making a lot of the same mistakes that I made and so I was like you know what I'm just gonna like open up this offer to anyone who like wants to and I just like made like an Instagram you know like story post like hey if you're applying to medical school like hit me up and then at the same time a lot of my friends were like starting you know their own businesses or like nonprofits or whatever whatever and so I was like maybe this could be bigger than me helping friends like maybe I could really make this into something and help perfect strangers random people like with their applications and so that's what I did I just like made a website and tried to get the word out there and it's really cool like a year later obviously like I've been helping people again over the summer where I was because summer's over now but it's really cool that I've gotten to see people that I helped last summer get into medical school this summer. And that is just like the coolest feeling. Like I can't even describe to you. Like even if I had nothing to do with it, the fact that I'm a part of that person's story is really inspiring. And people will like thank me. And I'm like, I, I cannot take any credit. All I did was take your words and help you like put them in a way that med, med schools could like understand what you're trying to say, you know? Um, so that has been a really amazing experience. I haven't really gotten to help any sickle flow patients in that aspect then have come to me I, as, that I can think of in terms of applying to medical school or sickle flow warriors, but it's really cool to just help everyday people who have real passion, but maybe just don't have the privilege of knowing someone who's already done this. So that's that. And then my book, oh man, so it was during, okay, so during undergrad is when I really started writing about sickle cell. Before that, like, when I was in elementary school and middle school, I wrote for, I love writing. I wrote for fun, though. It was, like, fantasies and stuff like that. And I let people read it if they, like, asked me to. But it was never, like, I don't know, it wasn't too deep. But I, of course, had a dream of being an author because, you know, like, um, what kid doesn't? But, um, and then in high school, writing turned into, like, a giant pain. And, you know, because they, like, make you write differently and literature is a whole thing and then in college I took a disability narrative class disability studies class and it just really opened my eyes in terms of not just disability but also like sickle cell and seeing myself as a disabled person like or a differently abled person and I never really thought of myself that way before and I kind of like like most people had a lot of negative connotations with the word disability but this class just like changed my understanding of the word and the words used to describe ability in general and I could like rant about that really like the class kind of made me write about myself but also opened me up to be able to write about having this disease and I was good at it and I really liked it and what I was writing was impacting people so I just kept doing that and I worked for, like, my school's um, newspaper and the Michigan Daily, well, specifically, like, the people of color section of Michigan Daily. And then when I got to med school, I didn't think I was going to have time to keep writing, but I, it was, like, break, and COVID happened, of course, and so we were virtual, and I had all this free time that I had never had before, on top of it being winter break I couldn't even tell you what break spring break I think it was and I was just really frustrated because I had just had a pain episode and it was one of those things where it's like great I just lost all this study time because I was in pain and there's I can't tell anyone I think I like asked my school if I could take the exam later and they were like yeah of course you can but the thing is even if I take the exam later like all the new material doesn't I can't push new material back. So it's like, I'm still going to be behind even if I like take the exam later. So at, at that point I was like, is it even worth it to like keep pushing the new material away? So I just like took the exam. I did not do well. And I was just really frustrated with how I was struggling like invisibly by myself in my apartment, you know, like just all alone. I felt really alone and invisible. Um, and so I just started writing and I looked back at my pieces from college and things that I had written in like my journal and whatever, whatever. And I just like, 
I did not sleep much that break. I just stayed up all night at my laptop, like crying and writing. Like the words were just flowing out of me. Everything that I was feeling, like all this bent, pent up frustrations about what I was going through and the book was born. And I just like went to my mom and was like, what if I published this? <laughs> and she was like, do you really think you can do that? And I was like, I don't know. And I just started Googling and like, was like, how do you publish a book? Like, and people now will come to me and be like, it's so cool that you did that. Like, how do I do that? And I was like, listen, here are my Google searches. <laughs> like, I had no idea what I was doing. Are you kidding me? Like, this is not planned out. And I feel so bad because I have friends who have like spent years planning like their book, you know, and this was like a spur of the moment, like few weeks projects for me where I was just like, I have to tell this story. Like I cannot, I'm, I'm about to burst. I need to put it to paper and I'm going to put it out there because maybe it'll help people understand. And maybe next time, you know, it will just be that once a year text message. Like, Oh, I heard sickle cell and I thought of you today. Maybe it'll become like, wow, I read this and I think about you all of the time now, you know, and not that I need people to think about me all the time, but to think about, all of the time you know and now people like it's been a while and people have read my book and like classmates have read it and like professors have read it which is like wow and they'll tell me like I had no idea or I think about that all the time or like that really moved me or I met someone else with sickle cell and I told them about your book or I really was able to like approach this person differently because I read your book and that stuff is really incredible it I can't I cannot describe to you what an incredible feeling it is and in the book I'm just really open and honest about pain like all kinds of pain that I have experienced not just because of sickle cell but also like emotional pain um physical pain of course and just some of the struggles that I've had in my life you know and I think it's really easy to think of me and see my social media or whatever whatever and think that I'm like this super happy go lucky person that everything's always gone perfectly for and that is not true at all and I think you know the age of social media really makes people think that about everyone that we all live these perfect lives and I just was like nope I'm gonna be fully transparent I really struggled um, and I had to go through some things and figure out how to get out of the situations that I was in you know or the health situations that I was in and so, yeah, and that's really all it was. And I remember being so upset later because I found, like, a typo. And <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but I was just like, this is why I probably should have had someone edit it. But that was not the purpose. The purpose of my was never, like, to make a million dollars or to be a bestseller or any of that, or clout or anything like that. It was just, like, I need to get this story out there, and I hope it will reach enough people to maybe impact even just like one person. And the fact that it has impacted more than one person is like in such an incredible feeling. Like I'm crying right now. I'm sorry. I like can't describe it. It's really, really cool. Um, and I hope to keep doing that. Like um, we were talking earlier about education materials that are like, that are, that anyone can pick up and read and understand. And I've been working on writing something else. Um, we'll see where that goes because I don't have any free time. But <laughs> it's just really cool. It's such a great honor. It sounds yeah, I mean, really great. It sounds like there's more to come <laughs> in the future. So we'll keep an eye out. And hey, you know, we all make mistakes, but, you know, I, to your point, <laughs> I'm actually excited to dive into that book. And who cares about the typo, right? <laughs> I, I was just gonna say the opposite. I was like, I feel your pain with that typo. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a perfectionist, so the typo really hurt, you know. So yep. Whatever, it's out there. Yeah, it it would definitely hurt my feelings too. I'm I'm I think we're from the same cloth there. So how do people find out more about you and find your book? Like, I definitely want to read this book now. So I'm, like, all over the internet. You can literally, like, type in my name into Google, which is so cool. Sorry. <laughs> um, you can type my name into Google, and all these things will pop up that you can read about me. I have, like, a website. Um, so Chasing Medicine has its own website, chasingmedicine.org. Okay. I'm not really doing anything right now with it because school, but I have a website called, it's, like, www.salanienterprises.iwantastaycom.org. I don't even remember. Isn't that sad? 
<laughs> yeah, I'll get back to you because I really don't remember. And then clearly I haven't been on it in a minute, but my book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Lulu. So you can just type in either my name or the name of the book into any of those web- websites. And again, even into Google and it'll pop up for you. So do you mind repeating the name of the book and then also the spelling of your name just for our listeners so they can find you? Yeah. So the book is called Breaking the Cycle of Pain and it's um, short stories on and essays on living with sickle cell. And then it's by Halima Alanian. So my name is spelled H-A-L-I. M-A-T, the T is like kind of silent, so it throws people. And then Alanian, O-L-A-N-I-Y-A-N. And again, it's Google, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble, Lulu. So not too hard to find. Hey, I can't wait to look it up and start reading. I have a feeling like I'll be reading kind of somewhat just from hearing you speak. There's just so many similarities in our journey and, and just... I don't know, maybe our personality types. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm looking forward to reading it. <laughs> Yay. I feel like we have similar personality types too. <laughs> cool. Hey, I'm not left out. I think there's a lot. Of <laughs> I know I'm not a single soul warrior. It's the club uh, here. Maybe the medical stuff we can relate to a little bit. Yeah, we can talk about research because I could go on tangents about research. So. <laughs> yeah, I know we're going to be. We're going to be touching base and talking more about research. You know, that gets me excited. So I can't wait yeah. for that. I, I think for me, you know, even from even talking about your book and, you know, you said professors will read it and they talk about how that impacts them. This is really what the work should be about, right? Helping change the narrative around the disease and all of these different things. So I can't thank you enough. I think, you know, there's more that we could share about your story, but I'm really excited for everybody to really check out this book. Like you said, the book is Breaking the Cycle of Pain. And if you guys can't spell Halima's name, I'm going to spell it again. It's H-A-L-I-M-A-T. Last name is O-L-A-N-I-Y-A-N. And I can't wait to dive into that book as well. But I want to say thank you for taking the time to really come on and and, and share your story. Um, I know our, our listeners are going to benefit a lot from this. And I want to remind all our listeners that, you know, you guys can follow Halima on social media platforms along, like I said, get her book as well. But for anybody who might have any questions, um, just feel free to reach out to us as well. And Halima, you know, we'll provide um, your website link into podcast description for our audience as well. So we will put in that in there. So one thing I also want to add today is, you know, if you have any questions or if you want any topics that you want us to cover on the podcast or you want to hear from any special guests like amazing guests like Halima today, feel free to email podcast at sc101.org or, you know, this modern age testing is all available. So you can actually just text us at 408-706-2803. If you text us, whatever topic you want to talk about, if you have a special guest, you really want to get them on the show, just reach out. The number again is 408-706-2803. And don't forget to also rate, review, and share this podcast, right? You cannot just listen to this amazing story of Halima by yourself. you got to send that out. Let other people <laughs> hear about it. And I know, Halima, you know, you're going to have people reaching out to you very shortly. Um, Cass, how can people find us on social media? You can find our educational content on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Pick your social media platform. We're there at Civil Cell 101. So be sure to follow us on all of those platforms. And I know you have a, a special little ritual that you <laughs> like to you know share what? with us. My, <laughs> my ritual is something that Halima can relate to. One thing I like to tell our audience, Halima, and I'm going to say it now, is, you know, everything that we talk about is really for educational purposes only. And I think even Halima even mentioned it earlier, right? Everybody's experience is different. So just remember that, you know, each person is different. Really make sure you're talking to your doctors, healthcare providers, and making sure treatment or any topics that you might want to dive into is really specific to. And I always want to remember, remind our audience about that. And, and I know Halima will appreciate that too. Halima, before we go, I want to ask you, I want to know about, first of all, what do you think about disclaimer? And then also any last words for our audience before we head out? I love the disclaimer. That's so important. Yeah, like 
I'm definitely not trying to say in anything that I've said or with my book that this is how all sickle cell patients feel. Like, definitely not saying that because every experience is unique, even within our shared, you know, experience of having this disease. We can all feel it really differently. So I love the disclaimer, and I don't think I have anything else to say, but thank you both for having me on. This was really fun and kind of emotional, <laughs> but I loved it. And I welcome whoever wants to reach out to me on social media. Go right ahead. I will definitely respond. Let me ask you one last question. Um, I don't think I heard you say your, your Instagram or Facebook handles. Um, can you tell us what those are? Facebook, um, you can probably find me. I have like Facebook Messenger and it's just my name, Halima Alanian. And then my Instagram handle is at Halima Takes On. So H A L I M A T T A K E S O N. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. One thing I'm going to do is any warrior that's interested in healthcare. Hey, I know you're doing some cool stuff with Chasing Medicine. So if they need help with your letters, all of that cool stuff, I'm going to make sure they come find you. Absolutely. That sounds great. Definitely send them my way. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening today. We really hope you um, benefited from this story. I certainly did. And, and thank you, Haliman, for coming on this show today. And, and we're really excited to, um, you know, get to talk to you more, even in the future. Anything you want to say, Cass, to end? No, just thank you so much for sharing your story. And it, I, I think it'll really resonate with everybody. It certainly has with me. And I'm looking forward to reading your book and learning a little bit more, like Steven said, about you. So. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone. And we'll catch you all next time.